Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit fightradio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special returning guest is Oscar Miro Casada, and we'll be talking about his new book, Shamanism, Personal Quest of Communion with Nature and Creation. In his new book, Shamanism, respected Curandero Oscar Miro Casada teaches shamanism as a tradition of healing, power, and wisdom that sees all life as interconnected and sacred. You must live the path to understand it. Help your audience to help you understand that the shamanic art of a noble death, becoming a hollow bone, traveling through three worlds, through the three worlds, and how to embrace the imaginal beauty of living sentient and ever-evolving cosmos. Feel soul-animating moments with creation itself as Don Oscar shares his transformative shamanic experiences to include how he received his first initiation as a young child and later in life was protected from harm by sacred plant allies. Don Oscar Miro Casada is a transpersonal psychologist and respected Kirindero, a deck from Peru, and is the originator of Pachacui Mesa Tradition, cross-cultural shamanism, founder of the Heart of the Healer, Soft Shamanic Mystery School, fellow in ethnopsychology with the Organization of American States, and invited observer to the United Nations Forum on Indigenous Issues. For more information, you can visit his website, which is heartofthehealer.org. And with that, I'd like to welcome Oscar to the show. Good day, Oscar. Thank you so much, my good brother. Uh, I know those were a mouthful of words to pronounce uh, in your introduction. Yet you did a commendable job. So throughout our discussion today, I'm sure the listeners will get that. Well, we are all in the process of evolution and refinement of our ability to um, befriend uh, exotic and. Um, unfamiliar realms of uh, of knowledge and, and and experience and and that takes time so i like the fact that you you know gave it a shot and understand <laughs> it the pachacuti pachacuti p a c h a k u t i means cosmic transformation and world reversal so it's all about change and flux and there's no one one right way to do anything really in shamanism, as long as you do it with heart and with loving intention and free of any ego attachment. It becomes good medicine for our for our world. So thank you Absolutely. for having me on again. You're very welcome, and I've got the patsakuti <laughs> all set now. <laughs> so, for sure. Well, I can't believe it's been nine years since I spoke with you. You were on my show in 2013 when we talked about lessons and courage, um, and that was uh, such a wonderful conversation. So um, I'm thrilled to have you back, and, and hopefully we'll be doing this in a, in a you know more regular kind of basis because it's always very interesting speaking with you. So. It's a future. I can't believe nine years. Wow, that's an extended, that's an extended gestation period. <laughs> it is. I don't know. that nine months. How about nine years? I know. Um, well, really. So let's start with, um, and you know, for for people who are listening who may not have any idea of what a shaman is or shamanism is, would you mind giving us your you know, 
based on my own experience of having been initiated into the ancestral lineages of the Andes and coast and Amazon of Peru, my country of origin, I've come to realize that uh, shamanism is essentially a labor of love, and that uh, one's um, caring for the well-being of another that is equal or more than one cares for oneself is the glue that binds all life together. Uh, a sense of compassive feeling and altruistic service and dedication to the flourishing and beautification and, and sacralization of life, really. So anything that brings beauty to the world that issues forth from a place of caring and love for the world is a form of shamanism. So uh, shamanism is an imagination-empowered, nature-venerating, soul-vivifying, spirit-befriending, sacred community-bolstering, love-inspired, universal healing vocation continuously practiced by diverse people worldwide since the Upper Paleolithic era. So we're talking at least 40,000 B.C. And around the world we find shamanic peoples, traditions, lineages, uh, paths. Now, in in those other cultures, I mean, are are they known as shamans, or are there other types of, I mean, how would that activity in different cultures, you know, be presented? Well, certainly, depending on where where it is practiced. The the term uh, shaman derives from the Tungusic Siberian language or the Yavenki language in, in, in Russia. And Saman means he or she who is a master of fire, or he or she who communicates with spirits. And that is the the traditional uh, little definition of, of shamanism. Yet in other parts of the world, the word Saman, as derived from that area, never was used until recently, or as as a result of Mercia Eliades, the scholar of religious studies at University uh, at, at Chicago, uh, came up with his famous book, Shamanism, Archaic Techniques of Ecstasy. And when that was printed in the in 63, I believe it was, all of a sudden cultural anthropology became <laughs> obsessed with the shamanic approach to, to healing. And it just filtered in, just like Zen Buddhism did, and meditation and all that in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and it started to just infuse into popular culture. And nowadays, the term shamanism or shaman is a a household term. <laughs> Everybody uses it. Yet, in, in Peru, for instance, we have very different words for a medicine person, a person who carries healing light in the world. Everything from an alcomisayo or yatiri or brujo or curandero, you know, uh, uh, basically a healer or medicine person. And that's the same in other parts of the world. Every culture has their own idiosyncratic term or appellation for a person who has heeded the call to heal and dedicated their lives to it as a vocation. So, uh, yeah, you Choose a place yeah. in the world, and I'll tell you the name of how they call the healer there, <laughs> or the medicine person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, in your book, one of, one of the things that that you know stood out to me and, and kind of made me take notice is one of the things you talk about is a noble death. And I mentioned that in the introduction. Um, you know, can you tell me, tell, tell us about that because I think that that's. Uh, um, when I read about it, I thought it was it was just a very interesting perspective, shamanic perspective. Certainly, thank you for opening up that space to explore this because it's so so important for our current era and what we're going through because we're experiencing a, a, a rite of passage 
an initiation on a planetary or global scale uh, that is unique, and it, it is a shamanic initiation. Uh, and so, therefore, being able to surrender to the process of dismemberment, of being torn apart and being vaporized and and disappearing from your own sense of importance is key to being able to die without dying. So a noble death is a person who, to experience a noble death is the equivalent of a shamanic dismemberment process in which you are going to the lower world, let's say, into a sonic or a unconscious realm that is replete of shadowy imagery and um, and threatening visitations from lower astral beings, let's say, a nightmarish role. And instead of struggling against it and recoiling from it, embracing it and allowing it to go ahead and do what it needs to do for you to help you transform fear into love, separation into wholeness, and darkness into light. And therefore, the noble death requires a person to surrender one's attachment to the craving for control and approval in the world, and a dissolution of one's ego, and a rebirth into a way of being that is selfless, that is not motivated by personal gain, that is not motivated by how the world is going to worship you or see you as someone who's important. And therefore, without sacrificing one's own sense of, of, of self, allowing the self to be united with a much wider web of wisdom and of beauty than just an isolated individual identification as a name. That's why when people ask me if I'm a shaman, I say, no, the only shamans I know are dead ones, and they live in tribal societies. And I said, but I am a friendly holographic projection of your necessity to see me as a shaman, right? So, <laughs> I, I don't know. Just a minute. Pause. <laughs> right. So, yes, the noble death is a path that's required of any earnest, heartfelt, authentic, genuine, shamanic adept. Someone who has allowed themselves to um, to let go of their own BS, their belief systems, and open up to the beauty of experience, of encounter, of meeting and becoming and joining in partnership with a sentient, living, wise Earth Mother and cosmos as a whole. I hope yeah. this uh, now, answers your question, my good brother. It does. It does. It does. Now, you, you indicated that kind of what we're seeing right now, um, what we're experiencing with all of the uh the chaos um and just um shattering of various types of structures you know that kind of have guided us um as is maybe an initiation it's a shamanic initiation so um in the initiation process um obviously it starts with that you know that noble death that that aspect of um shamanic dismemberment um but what 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 else is involved in initiation? I mean, once you kind of you start there, then what what's the process? What does an initiation um, kind of look like? Well, first of all, there's this moment in which one realizes that they've been sleepwalking, that you have really not been totally awake to to what's real, to what's purposeful, and to what's relevant in, in one's life. And so a lot of self-doubt, insecurity, um, at times depression, um, 
and even disassociated psychic states may occur in which a person feels uh, lost, uh, a stranger in a strange land. And that can take from a few months to many years that you, you feel like you're walking in limbo in this in-between twilight world. You're not of this earth and you're, you are also part of it. But you, you don't, it's not a home. So in a way, you're homeless. And after a while, there's, instead of feeling sorry for oneself, one needs to realize that whether I'm whole or complete and feel good about myself or not, I still have to get up and I have a life to live. And at that point, there's usually an initiatory crisis a major breakdown that leads to a breakthrough. And that can take, if it's formalized in, in a shamanic apprenticeship, of course, it's, it's better because you have mentors and, and a community that supports your dismemberment, your, your breakdown. But it's intended for you to truly die to your, um, to your, to your sense of being an individual that's separate from the whole. And during that process of initiatory crisis, many pests, there's great pits and pitfalls associated with it, challenges, just like we are facing now on a global scale. These are situations that are seen insurmountable, both at the environmental and climatological level, as well as at the social disruptive level, that are seem so vast and so incomprehensible that at times a paralysis sets in and therefore we try to apply old solutions to problems that we've never had before. And so there's this search during this period of time, uh, a a journey of, of discovery. And then all of a sudden a moment comes in which either a teacher shows up or you yourself um, seek a teacher and at that point some trusted other that's been through the process themselves will go ahead and guide you through the next phases of an inner and outer apprenticeship process in which you develop a whole cosmology, a worldview, uh, methodologies, healing techniques and practices, ritual arts, things of that nature. And that could be uh, also combined with deep study and reading and um, apprenticeship of our plant relatives and their medicinal values, etc. And the fifth phase after you go through that apprenticeship is becoming, turning from the wounded healer into the, uh, into the surrender, what we call the hollow bone, the empty conduit the instrument for the divine to express itself to you. And at that point, you just allow the guidance to come from a much, from an ineffable source, uh, from creation itself, to move through one's, one's life. And uh, our decisions are usually always based on the fact that if it's not good for all people, it's not good for anybody. So we strive mm-hmm. when we get to that place to be of service to as many people as possible. Seven generations minimum will our thoughts, our words, and our actions be considered as to how they'll impact uh, the future. That's the best way yeah. to put it. That's, that's great. You know, that's great. Then, you know, I think let the listeners know, you know, kind of what the, the process is. Um, now, your book, um, Shamanism, uh, is one of, uh, in a series from uh, Sacred Stories and their Common Sentient series, um, and I've had quite a few of their, their the authors on. Um, now, in, in this series, what happens is um, in the first part of the book, you know, we talk about different concepts like the noble death and, and hollow bone. Um, 
but then during the second section, you have gathered um, stories from individuals that you know fit the topic. And as in the other books, the first story and the last story in that particular section are contributions from the author. And in, in your particular case, you opened up with a story um, from asthma to apophysis. Again, I should. So from asthma to apotheosis. So why did you choose this particular screen of the section? Well, this particular story was pivotal in my um in finding my way to the path of shamanism. Uh and uh, it is also recounted in, the, in my first book, Lessons in Courage. Uh, it's, a, it's a very similar. And it involves um, how disease, how illness, how um, life's most challenging experiences are, in effect, the best medicine, the best healing salve that we can have. And uh, as a child, I suffered from very, very severe asthma to the point where I had to be taken away from the coastal area of Lima where I was living and moved up to the highlands of Peru, central uh, Andean area, uh, 11,000 plus feet above sea level where I could breathe a little better because I was constantly on IV dexamethasone, which are steroids, cortisone, to be able to breathe. And I was very, very sickly and on the edge of dying many times. And it was no life for a child. I was 10 years old at the time. And so that was my asthmatic. I was born with asthma. And the first you know, part of my life was spent mostly in a dark room in bed. And um, missed a lot of school, had to repeat years, struggles at home, a lot of dysfunction. And all of these, quotes, unquote, negative uh, environmental experiences turned out to be the exact ground uh, of, my, um, of my birth, of my rebirth. And so at that time, I was flirting with just not wanting to be around. So I in one of the most severe uh, asthmatic uh, attacks with hypoxia where I couldn't breathe, I just wanted to pass to the other side. So I started to just will myself to go. And, in fact, was going through that tunnel of light and all of the classic near-death experiences. And then I heard my name being called from the background in this dark room I managed to come back into my body a little bit, open my eyes, and there were these three shimmering, luminous beings uh, in my room, one at the foot of my bed and the other two flanking me, and there were these uh, shiny ones, these entities of light from the other side of the veil. And it's a long story, yet it's in the book if people want to know more about it, but in a nutshell, uh, I was told telepathically everything that I would be doing in my life. Of course, I became at music. I forgot all about it after this experience until I met my mentor in, in shamanism where he experienced that together with me. And that's a whole other story. Yet one of these beings just arched over and put his lips to my chest and started to do this extraction, a classic shamanic extraction, sucking it out, sucking the asthma out of my lungs, and then released it into the heavens. And from that next day on, I never had asthma again. And the doctors couldn't believe it. My father was a physician himself. He, they, they, they were flabbergasted. Uh, fast forward, and when I met my mentor, at age 17, seven years had passed, I'd forgotten all about that. The first ceremonial event that I had with him, out of the altar ground that he was managing, these three same beings of light emerged from the altar ground. And he elbowed me and he says, do you remember them? And I realized he was seeing what I was seeing. 
all, everything came back to me and I remembered everything and it just turned my life upside down. I realized, man, there's more to life than, than what I thought and, uh, and I want to follow this path and the rest is history. Now, apotheosis means a trans, a transfiguration into, of, of divine, um, orchestration. In other words, when, from asthma, from sickness, to divinity is what that title means because without the intervention of the divine into the, the, the secular or the profane, um, it's rare that miraculous healings like that can occur. Very, very rare in some limited occasions. So that's why I titled it that way because that was a, an intervention of the highest, most divine order. Yeah, yeah, and, and what I like about that particular story is that it puts a different framing on one's um, challenge, sickness or, or challenges, you know, um, so so that recognizing that you know they may ultimately, you know, like you say, be, be the healing, the the way. F- it's really, I guess, it sets the stage. For healing, and and that that's how one can do that. Um, so now the the closing story that you had in, in the book was called "Blessed by in, Invisibility." Um, so t- tell us, you know, that you know that uh, the lesson of that particular story. Mm-hmm. Well, th- thank you for opening up that space uh, once again, just for the. The listeners, the part one does cover what shamanism is, and, uh, and, and it ties it in with the great work of alchemy, hermeticism, Gnosticism, mystery schools in the West. And so it's, it, it really is a good, uh, in-depth purview of shamanism as a worldwide phenomenon. Part two is, a compilation of riveting stories, not only by myself, but of 25 other uh, authors that have had encounters with the luminous, with the uh, with the divine, that has been beneficially transformative in their lives. So those are a really important part of the book. And part three, of course, is then all the techniques, tools, practices that one can do, and some final words of encouragement to be emissaries of light and love in the world. So the the last story, Blessed by Invisibility, was another experience I had with the same mentor that saw those shining ones with me and brought them to my attention again. This was going out into the desert area of the Chongoyate River Valley when I was already in, deep into my apprenticeship with him. And, uh, to secure these Sampero cactuses, Tricuserios Pachanoi, which is a visionary plant, it's, it contains the same alkaloid that me- mescaline has, like the peyote bugs. <laughs> and we, mm-hmm. and we use that, that plant for our ceremonies. So, in a nutshell, it was during the time of the Shining Path, uh, this terrorist group, and it was all under curfew, and the, there was, the military was in control, and the area we went to was secured by the military. It was very dangerous. And basically, when we arrived there to harvest the plants, the military showed up, and Don Celso Rojas Palomino, my mentor, uh, told us to just quiet ourselves and disappear. And and then the military came there, were right in our faces, the dogs. I could hear them sniffing in my ear. I can smell their breath. I can feel the warmth of their breath. I could hear the, the soldiers saying they're not here. They must have gone, and they took off. We were We were there, right there, and they could not see us. And that just re- made me realize the power of our collective intention that when harmonized and aligned in a common purpose, uh, uh, magic happens. That's, in a nutshell, what that experience was like. 
Yeah, that was I, when I read that. I was I was amazed. Um, one one of the things you indicated in that particular story was the, the need to learn to develop and discipline your imagination. And you know, I had never really thought of the idea of discipline when it comes to imagination because you know, I usually when I think of imagination I've always just thought of you know free-flowing endless you know let it go where it goes kind of of, of activity versus discipline mm -hmm. well you're right most creativity needs to be undisciplined <laughs> well and, and, mm -hmm. and imagination is integral to creativity yet what I refer to is a equality or an ability known as vista or sight um, it, it is psychic sight and to develop that uh, we have to discipline our imaginative faculties it's not that you have to have discipline with a practice of imagination but when you use the image imago when one invokes the presence and the power of an image and sustains it, great um, focus, then that image becomes reality because we understand that consciousness begets matter. In other words, it's generative. It structures the material world. In shamanism, we know this. And there are many tools and techniques that help you Use your vision, your imagination in a way in which you focus it to such a degree it becomes like a laser in being able to carve out or fashion the environment around you. And it actually influences the outcome of one's, um, of, of one's agenda, if I could put it that way. So, Disciplining our imaginative faculties is different than uh, than uh, than controlling an imagination. It's not about controlling. It's about engaging the power of vision, of fantasy, of dreaming, of of imagination. So it becomes an ally. So it becomes a partner in the co-creation and fashioning of a world that makes more sense and is more sustaining of beauty and love than than before. Does yeah. that make any sense, brother? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You, make, you always make sense. <laughs> it does make sense. Um, so we're going to take just a, a quick break here, Oscar. Um, and then when we come back, um, I want to talk about um, a couple – of the other stories, just in, in the sense of what um, kind of how they tap into the to the shamanism aspect, and and then we'll we'll close with talking about uh, some of those um, ideas and you put in part three of the book and and deepening one's shamanic connection. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you. Great. Okay. Everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. 
I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Don Oscar Miro Tusada, and we're talking about his new book, Shamanism, Personal Quest of Communion with Nature and Creation. And again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is heartofthehealer.org. Okay, with that, we're back, Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Okay. We are here and fully present. Fully present, yes, absolutely. So, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing with the listeners, you know, a, a particular story that, that really you feel is um, very poignant and, and would like to share. Yes, well, uh, it's no surprise that storytelling itself is one of the most powerful tools we have to convey uh, ancestral wisdom uh, and in a manner that is palpable, in a manner that is experienced rather than analyzed or memorized. It's sitting around council fires uh, since time immemorial been the ideal way to solve problems, to return to a place where everybody has a common voice and everybody is experienced as valuable and necessary for the well-being of the tribal circle and community as a whole. So each of these stories is really remarkable because it highlights how an individual experience can add to a much larger sense of connectivity, of interdependence with others and with the natural world. And Honoring the Ancestors was written by a dear sister of mine, Deborah Kelly, who also is a practitioner of the Pachacuti Mesa tradition. And she has, in her story, she speaks about some difficult times growing up in in her life and some very sad occasions in terms of her relationship with her father that was considered not the most healthy person uh, around, and that through the appearance of various animal allies, bluebirds and and other types of, of, of nature beings, she was led to a reconciliation with her father that would have not been able to take place in the real world because he was imprisoned. And so it is through her realization that her father was an example to her rather than some criminal, that she was able, Mm. through her own love of nature, to integrate those split-off parts of her own self that denied her, her being a daughter of a man that everybody else rejected and she was able to now befriend and make part of her life. And it empowered her deeply. So that's uh, that's just a, a, a summary of, of what these stories are like. I encourage everybody to, of course, pick up the book and, and read them. I'm sure that everybody will find some sort of identification and resonance with the tales that have been spoken and shared. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that... Is there anything um, you'd like to add? You'd like to... Is there anything you'd like to add regarding what what your takeaway was from that story? (laughs) Yeah, from that particular story, you know, it was the the idea of um, looking at um, nature um, kind of being signals to those in spirit. Now, um, in it, she talked about, you know, cardinals and blue jays, and cardinals is, seems to be a very, um, common, um, I mean, when, when people talk about visitation, I've gotten quite a few people in my followers who, whenever I put up a picture of cardinal, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll respond to, you know, it was, for them, it's so-and-so showing up, you know, for them. Um, and that, that gives them a sense of, 
of that connection, you know, the, the connection that, um, although, you know, physically broken, um, isn't, um, isn't broken at all, but, but in fact still there. Most definitely. Well, our animal allies have always been the messengers in the shamanic sense of, uh, of departed loved ones as well as ancestral teachers that, um, when we learn how to communicate with their visitation can, uh, you know, open up the, the, the doorways behind the, you know, makes the veil between seen and unseen very, very thin. And that's where most of our learning occurs. Uh, in, in Deborah's story also, she talks about the swarm of bees. And bees also a very significant shamanic uh, totem uh, of transformation and of uh, renewal. So yes, uh, red cardinals, especially in the in, in the northern countries, are deeply associated with uh, departed souls of loved ones, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, it's. it's um, I'm sorry, that whenever an animal crosses my path, you know, I, I just take notice more, you know, uh, you know, where before I would not have. And, and, um, it, it tends to, first of all, let me stop in my track, you know, kind of stop what I was doing or stop what I was thinking, you know, and, and instead focus on the moment. And, you know, and then from there, you know, I mean, it can, it can be, you know, just the idea of maybe taking a photo of the, of it, or, or it may just, it happened many times the other day, I, um, I was walking and a hawk just, um, it was a Cooper's hawk, it just kind of flew right over my head, and my, I was not fast enough to capture a photo of it, and, and that used to bother me, you know, just like, oh man, why wasn't I ready, um, and until I finally, you know, kind of got the method that, you know, it was just for you, just for that moment, enjoy it, <laughs> you know, and don't worry about having to share that with anyone else. Excellent, excellent. Well done, my good friend. As a matter of fact, when we have these beautiful winged ones show up in our lives, uh, we could, it's easy to want to make something much more of the, uh, uh, of their appearance than really what they're trying to convey is basically a validation, uh, a, a confirmation that we're on the right path when they, when these yeah. animal allies show up. Just, we don't have to make that much more of it. Just know that we are we are living our medicine. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. And that can be well our animal. I'm sorry. I was saying that can be just so um, comforting, you know, to recognize that you know I am on the I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm where I'm supposed to be and when I'm supposed to be. Exactly. Correcto. As, as you well know, animal allies or totems are rampant, you know, ubiquitous in, in the shamanic traditions for many roles and, and, and uh, virtues. And especially when it comes to one's initiation, because often the dismemberment process occurs, especially in tribal people's experience, when an, an animal tears your, your flesh off your body, in a, you're, in a, you're in a shamanic journey, of course, and then breaks your bones, pulverizes your bones, basically destroys your physical body. So you're, you no longer exist. And then, after a while, it starts to put your body back together. And at the end, it blows its own spirit or its own soul into you by blowing into your solar plexus, your heart, or sometimes your crown, and gives you its medicine. The animal also, then it becomes your animal totem or your fetish. And many, many, uh, shamans, women and men carry amulets and medicine pieces that depict that particular animal that led them to their own demise and then reconstituted them into a higher level of divine service. And, uh, it's, it's an extraordinary experience. If you've ever had yeah. that. 
Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Um, now there is a story, chrysalis. So I, I'm I can't imagine anything <laughs> representing transformation more than chrysalis. So can you just kind of just give us an idea of what that story was about? Well, yes, chrysalis was um, written by Peter Lefferts, who's a brilliant uh, painter up in the Catskills in New York. And it talks about him engaging in his pakowacho, which is the, the, in the tradition that I teach, it is a pilgrimage to a, a local mountain deity, some venerated mountain air that the people of that, the original people of that area, uh, respected and paid offerings to and all of that. So Peter did his pakowacho, and as it needs to be done, there's a ritual process that's involved, and there's a purification process that takes place beforehand. It's very much like going on a vision quest, as understood in Native North American tradition, or going up on the hill with the communion with with, the, with great spirit, and receive a medicine name and also a, an animal power or thing like that. And in his particular case. In his Pakowachu, he embodied all of the attributes of what is known as the Alto Misayok uh, uh, lineage, the person who does payments to the earth. In other words, he feeds, feeds the natural world through uh, ritual uh, artistry as well as through communion with the, the voices in the trees and the rocks. And in the, in the animal visitors that come. And that entire process is very much like the transformation or the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into the butterfly with the same types of stages. And I feel that he articulates that beautifully. And it's a representative that symbolizes truly the alchemical process that's involved in our uh, in our maturation as a soul from a fear-based, limited, isolated, narcissistic, self-absorbed being into a joyous beauty walker, as we know it, and a hollow bone for the divine to flow through us in life. So thank you, Peter, for your, for your contribution. Oh, absolutely. Now, that, that, that was a, a Pakawachu, and that was from the Pachacuti <laughs> Mesa tradition, from, right? Exactly. From the Pachacuti Mesa tradition, Pachacuti. yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, um, we're kind of down to the last 10 minutes, so I want to spend just um, uh, what time we have remaining. So talking about the, the part three of your book is Deepening Your Shamanic Connection. And one of the things you, you first talk about is the 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 need or, or the importance of cultivating spiritual discernment. Um, can you tell us uh, what, what do you mean by just, you know spiritual discernment? Discernment, to begin with, is um, foundational. The uh, the the ability to discern as to what actions one can take that will result in something that will be of benefit not only to the person enacting the ritual, let's say, but to the entire species-wide web of life on the planet requires great discernment. And discernment is to the ability to see through the the chatter, the drunken monkey mind, the stinking thinking, the, the ability to let go of the need to analyze and predict and uh, be in charge of the outcome, but to surrender to a process of discovery. And when you use discernment uh, to grow spiritually, it's very simple. Because anything that you do that is contrary to a, a life-affirming purpose is going to feel dark. It's going to feel um, 
limiting of what one's purpose as a passerby is on this planet. In other words, if you destroy, if you lie, if you betray, if you misdirect, if you, you know, create chaos, anything that is going to be contrary to harmonizing and bringing unity and good, right relationship, I mean, sacred reciprocity between what it's received and what it's given, is going to create hucha, which is density, lower vibrational fields of stagnation within the flow of the planetary chi uh, or life force or kausai. So discernment is extremely important in, when determining what types of rituals and ceremonies we are to do, what types of foods we are to feed our ancestor spirits, what types of mountains we are to visit, what types of lakes we are to go and offer our gratitude toward, what types of purification rituals. So in a way, discernment involves starting off with a sacred purpose of making that particular day or that particular act a an alignment, a perfect alignment with creation's dreaming, with the cosmos's order and pattern and rhythm and cycles and mimic what is in the above into the below. That's how I understand spiritual discernment, that we learn how to mirror, to become mirrors of the celestial movements and beauty that is above us, the starlight of our origins, and how we can manifest that, mirror it, give it expression in our lives on Earth. That's what yeah. spiritual discernment is in my, in my understanding and experience. Yeah. When the, with the goal of having our thoughts and actions um, be put forth in a harmonizing way, how, you know, and, and when you talk about, um, you know, the, the journey and when we were talking about the dismemberment, you know, the uh, somatic dismemberment aspect, you talked about, you know, the, the dark places, um, you know, and kind of, you know, kind of embracing them, you know, to a degree. Um, how does, you know, um, do we look at, can we look at our actions as being um, either harmonizing or part of those um, darker aspects? And, and is is it um, is it just the whole process uh, an, an awakening, you know, to recognizing, you know, those disharmonizing or those those chaotic types of activities, and then switching them switching them up to harmonizing? Um, so if I understand you uh, correctly, you're asking about how do we transmute or transform uh, darkness into light, especially within ourselves, and how those moments of, of being lost can serve as a stepping stone, as a pathway toward self-liberation, toward enlightenment, toward uh, samadhi, moksha. <laughs> uh, uh, and, um, well, that, that would take a whole other show to talk about. Let me see if I, if I can put it this way. It's, you hear that the world is ending and that the Messiah is about to arrive. First go plant a tree and then see if the story is true. It's a Hasidic saying, right? So basically there's a lot of 
chucha, a lot of negativity, a lot of darkness. It's all part of our growth. It's part of our we, – we need challenge. Adversity is the crucible upon which the spirit is forged, is, is, is another saying attributed, I believe, to Flaubert. Now, the key is to understand that pain may be unavoidable, but suffering is always optional. And that when we encounter moments in our lives in which we are challenged to such a degree either that it involves deep psychic pain or even physical ailments and degenerative systemic diseases, that they are health opportunities. They are opportunities to do some deep inner reflection, some you know, taking your own inventory, going within, looking at your own shadow parts, looking at the parts of yourself that take you out of the present moment, those periods of shame, guilt of the past, or fear and insecurity about the future, and just bring it in through your breath, through your breathing, into the now, into that harmonious space of connectivity with everything that is in the present moment and the blessings of perfection that is this present moment. Anytime we move out of the present moment, we're going to experience the darkness. We're going to experience that not being the self, capital S. So, therefore, it's important to always live a life in which one's thoughts, words, and actions, at least from the shamanic perspective, um, result in, in a offering of gratitude for the gift that is life. And that gratitude fuels generosity, and generosity opens to grace. So it all begins with being grateful, even for the most disturbing and difficult challenges in one's life, and being generous with what the results of it are, so that you always walk with grace in your life. That's how I see it, my brother. That's wonderful. Now, it's interesting I had, um, for today's post, I used one of, I had a, a photo I took yesterday of a, an orange Icelandic poppy that had the sunlight just made it look on fire, you know, and, and I corresponded and looked for a quote and found one that says, uh, no degree of worldly darkness can extinguish the glow of a soul's inner light. Ah, oh, that just, Exquisite. Well, I'll tell you what, you are a shamanic visionary yourself, brother. I've been looking at your photographs, and as I mentioned before we, we went live, I would love to do some, some sort of collaborative shamanic uh, experiment as to how to, because your images are so evocative the, the, of the plants and the animals that you've taken, it brings out that shamanic communion with the, with the natural world in a good, good way. There, there, there's a lot of potential well, there, so we'll have to talk about that in the future. I think we, we should, you know, because, you know, it's one of those things where I, I love the idea of, you know, having people being more communion with nature and, and um, enjoy it as much as I do. So we will talk about that again, I'm sure, Oscar. So thank you for your time today, sir. This has really been a treat, and I really enjoyed speaking with you and look forward to our further conversations. Thank you so, so, so much, Robert. And, uh, yes, let's let's reconnect and leave a, leave a little review on Amazon.com of the book. That would be very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> I'll, be sure, I'll be sure to do that. Okay. Well, thank you, sir, and we'll, we'll talk again. Much love. Okay. Everyone, again, thank you for joining us today. My special guest has been Don Oscar Miro Casada. We've been talking about his new book, Shamanism, Personal Quests of Communion with Nature and Creation. And, again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is heartofthehealer.org. And you can also find more about the book in the Common Sentient series from um, the uh, Sacred Stories um, at their, their website, sacredstories.com. So, everyone, thank you again for joining us. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. 
Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.